Welcome to an Hour from Tower podcast, the podcast that brings you the people, personalities, and their stories from the College of St. Scholastica. I'm your host, Nate Daney, VP for Enrollment Management and Student Affairs, and today I'm with the esteemed Sarah Stewart, who's the Associate Director of Diversity and Equity and Inclusion here at CSS. So welcome, Sarah. Thank you. Thank you for asking me. Yeah, no, glad to have you. So I'm really excited about this because I feel like I know you a little bit, but I don't know you really well. And I think, you know, that's a part, fun part about these podcasts is they kind of get to a deeper level. So I'm really excited um, to have the conversation. Hope you are too. So, oh, very. Yeah. yeah, excellent. Well, good to have you. So as we do with every podcast, Sarah, um, let's talk a little bit just about your journey to Scholastica. What brings you to this moment in time sitting across the table from me having this conversation? Yeah. Um, so I'm from St. Paul and um, I'm a first-gen college student. So I went to Humboldt High School, which is really diverse. It was about um, about a quarter African-American, a quarter Mexican-American, um, about a quarter Hmong, and a little bit less than a quarter white. So that was my experience um, at the end of high school. But I had also gone to um, very, very predominantly white um, schools prior to that. So that mixed with being a first-gen student. Mm. I ended up at UMD, and I say ended up because my mom and I went for what I thought, I didn't know what orientation meant. So I thought we were just going to look at the school. And I had been accepted to U of M Twin Cities, UMD, and Spelman. And so we went to this orientation and got there, and they separated us and said, okay, now you're signing up for classes. And I was like, oh, oh no. And I remember crying on the way home, like, I guess I go there now. Um, but I, I ended up going because I thought some more about it. And, you know, it was it was an experience that absolutely led me to where I'm at right now. Um, but after college, so I had an English major, and I this was like the 2010s. So I was like, what do I do? Um, and I went down to, I went back to the cities and I worked at Globe University because I did not know what a for-profit college was. Mm. And this is when they were actually being sued. Mm. And so as I realized what they were doing mm-hmm. and I realized the predatory nature of their actions at that time, mm. I was like, oh no, I got to get out of here. This is really bad. Um, like on a moral level, I was like, this isn't right. And I ended up doing this. It was like based off of Teach for America. So I ended up doing this program. It was in North Carolina. And so I applied, I got in, I went down, and just the other day I had a Facebook notification reminding me, I had posted, oh, apparently we don't all get in. This was such a scam. Mm. And so I realized that, and I was like, okay. I mean, in so many other ways, it was a really good experience. It was the moving and the independence, the whatever. But I thought, I have to go back to school. And so I went to St. Cloud State for a master's degree and graduated in 2015 and after that again if anyone tried to look for a job in 2015 it was a rough time Mm. and so i was working at target for a little while um i'm a fantastic cashier (laughs) and then i was looking around at different jobs and a friend was like i don't know if you'd ever go back to duluth but there's this job and it is for you and at the time it was the multicultural students coordinator um and so i applied i got it so i have been here since then um but it was not my plan to be at scholastica this long i actually didn't know that much we had gone to a couple dances like in college when we when i came here mm-hmm. but i didn't know much and so i got in and like the whole benedictine values and all that was really new to me uh-huh. and i realized like i really liked it and i liked this community and i was shocked that everybody from my coworkers to the students knew the values like could name them um, I remember a student doing something one time down in the CJL and somebody was like, well, that's not very community centered of you. And I was like, they say these things. <laughs> um, and so over the years, it's been really interesting. Like there have been some really strong things that have kept me here uh-huh. in Duluth and at Scholastica. Yeah. Yeah. There's so much, this is what I love about, again, this time that I get to spend with people because you don't realize how much people have in common until you sit mm. down and talk. 
English major, first-generation college mm-hmm. student, right? Having those moments of not knowing terminology when you're going yes. through the process. I yes. want to come back to all of that yeah. Yeah. Um, at some point. But um, so so English to uh, associate director of multicultural. I think that's the beauty mm-hmm. of of liberal arts. But mm-hmm. um, you know, has has this type of work again working on diversity issues always been something that's maybe kind of been mm-hmm. at, at your heart, or was it mm-hmm. something that you learned along the way? Or I mean, there's so much you can do with an English major. Why yep. this? So long before college, even um, in my family. My dad is African-American, grew up in Chicago. Um, My mom is white. She grew up um, right outside the cities, went to Tartan High School. They met in Wisconsin and then had this family. And so it's myself and my two younger brothers. And this was like before we knew other interracial families, really. I mean, a couple, sure. But um, pretty much... Just living as a biracial person, living my life in the 90s and the early 2000s, it just was really clear to me some things that were fair and not fair. And like we always joke that in our family, we talk about these things. And when I went outside the house, I realized other people do not talk about that. Mm-hmm. Not in Minnesota. Mm-hmm. Do not say uncomfortable things mm-hmm. and talk about race. Mm-hmm. So then I ended up going to Humboldt High School. And the reason I actually went there was because um, I was at a school that was so horribly racist my dad was like after ninth grade he was like no you have got to switch like and he just told my mom it's not good for her to be around this much junk Mm -hmm. so i switched and i had just this very different experience where other people had grown up like i had Mm -hmm. other people had the same sort of backgrounds or thoughts that i had Mm -hmm. and so by the time i went to umd i knew that if i was going to be at this pwi I really, I had to make my own place. I had to feel welcome there. And, and I that some of that was on me. Mm-hmm. So I, I joined the Multicultural Center. I was um, a board member for our BSA, our Black Student Association. Um, I worked in the Multicultural Center and I did all this kind of stuff. But I had no idea other than a really obviously listed major, which at the time they really only had on the coasts for like, ethnic studies or things like that. We didn't have anything like that at UMD. So I didn't know how to put my interest and my work together. Mm -hmm. So I ended up, I started with um, elementary education and I realized as we were going to our um, practicum sites, the other students were incredibly excited. And I was panicking. I was like, these second graders are terrifying. And I realized like this was not the thing for me. But I still didn't know what to do. Um, and so I was actually almost through the program. And I finally got a new advisor. And she said, Sarah, why are you taking all these literature classes? I was like, oh, I love those. She goes, yeah, these are the only ones you have A's in. Yeah, and yeah. I was like, oh, OK, but like, what would I do with an English major? And she yeah. goes, what are you going to do with a major that you don't like? Mm, so I said, OK. Question. And so I changed to English, and I mm. loved it. Yeah. And I was able to even kind of do these projects and these papers that brought in my interest in diversity and social justice into the English major. Mm-hmm. But then I graduated and I was like, it's 2010. Mm-hmm. This is a rough time to try and find a job, especially as a first gen student who didn't know like how to get into something that wasn't the kind of maybe five jobs that you grow up with like in kindergarten. Yeah, right. So that kind of is what led to all of the other stuff. Like when I moved to North Carolina, even though I realized that this was a very scam of a program, I ended up also volunteering. Um, a, a local church had an ESL class for adults. Mm-hmm. Well, the neighborhood that I grew up in and the high school that I went to, like I said, um, had a significant Mexican American population. So I took Spanish and I thought I would take my class and get an A and whatever. And then I had these friends who we would leave class and they'd be like, no, 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 say it in Spanish. And so, like, this became this other sort of cultural experience outside of just the classroom. Mm-hmm. So in North Carolina, the, the adults that I taught were mostly women, um, mostly Latino women. And we were able to kind of have this moment of me realizing that these other things I had just been interested in yeah. were coming in handy. Yeah. 
because sometimes, and you know, you can do, there are all sorts of ways to teach yourself, but it's actually really helpful if you are working with beginner beginners to know the language that is their language, Mm -hmm. right? And so we would able to, we'd be able to kind of get further in the lessons because I could say, well, in Spanish, this is what it's, what it is. This is what I'm trying to say in English. Um, And it was just very different from what I was trying to teach second graders. Mm-hmm. And I realized, oh, this is this is what I'm good at. This is what I enjoy. Yeah. Um, but it also kind of showed me, too, that this diversity work as a field, uh-huh. you could bring in who you are. It wasn't just this thing of, like, we're going to point out all the racisms, right? Yeah. Like, diversity is really expansive it covers a lot of things and also you can come at it from this place of here are the things that i enjoy here are the pieces of joy in this work here's the here's the really exciting stuff and that's not separate from literature from uh esl from all those things and so it all seemed like it came together so when i came to this job i mean trust me i i made my case yeah here's how that's applicable and i but i wasn't sure it was going to work yeah you know i mean i could see how it matched yeah and thankfully other people did too but like to be honest in my day-to-day i use all sorts of stuff from my english major from teaching esl from just being in different spaces where I feel like I'm one of the group or sometimes spaces where I feel like, wow, I feel very separate. Yeah. All of that is relatable. Yeah. There's, it's so good and there's so much there and things I'm jotting down that I want to come back to. But I would imagine for you personally with what you've experienced, again, being a biracial mm-hmm. um, individual and you know, I, I always go back to, unfortunately, I think it took the events of May of 2020 mm-hmm. with George Floyd to, mm-hmm. and the murder of George Floyd, I think, to, mm-hmm. to light a, a, a powder keg. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and on top of that, this polarization of attitudes politically, and again, yeah. I'm not going to get political on this <laughs> podcast, I've always said I'm not, but certainly the political environment had, has, has laid on to that. How was... How is the culmination of just those two events? And there's many others. I, you know, mm-hmm. people. I think, and again, admittedly, um, th- th- there's many more names, right, than just mm-hmm. George Floyd that have that have had, mm-hmm. you know, again, horrible situations and, and and deaths and things like that happen to them. How is how are those ev- how have those events changed you mm-hmm. and changed your work? Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, George Floyd was killed in Minneapolis. And my parents live in St. Paul over in Frogtown. And so if you're familiar with the cities, you can take university or um, uh, you can take the highway too. But you can take university all the way down to my parents' neighborhood. And so people in Minnesota or specifically in the cities knew that there were these two sort of uprisings happening at the same time. There was in Minneapolis, in the neighborhood, at the spot where he was killed. And then there was sort of in the midway. This was by the St. Paul Capitol, uh, so Minnesota Capitol, um, by the midway. And my parents live, I think, two blocks off of there. Mm. So I'm here in Duluth, and my parents are at home in St. Paul. And I went home because my dad is a pastor, and so their church had... Um, you know, people gave donations and they had things for people in the community because a huge part of what happened was um, there were no gas stations for miles that Mm -hmm. were open, available. Mm -hmm. Um, My cousin had to bring my dad gas because his car ran out before he could get to the nearest gas station. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, people have babies and needs and food and Mm -hmm. things that they are in need of and stores were burned out closed down etc i really as a person who teaches this like every year in my dignitas class we talk about rodney king we talk about the language of a riot versus an uprising we talk about the origins of the words race riot and what it's become known as for me i felt like 
I have I have seen this coming for the longest. In mm-hmm. some ways, there are things that is like I am not surprised mm-hmm. in the slightest. Mm-hmm. My dad grew up in Chicago in the '60s as a little boy um, when they had the um, was it the RNC? I don't even remember if it was Republican or Democratic, yeah, but the National Convention. convention yeah, yeah. And he remembers the Black Panthers marching down the streets. He remembers the tanks and the National Guard and the curfews. Yeah. So for my dad, it was actually really traumatic. The, the helicopters overhead, the yeah. smell of smoke in the air, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, but he's a pastor, and he went out there, and he talked with young people, and he went to the precincts with a bunch of other faith leaders. And so we all kind of like dealt with this in our own way. The thing that I think has changed in my work is the way I teach about it, probably. Because previously, for a lot of younger people, you know, they would just say, well, you know, you're talking about Rodney King, that's before I was born. You're talking about this, that, and the other. You're talking about civil rights. Mm -hmm. I don't have memories of these things. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm here to learn. I chose this class. Mm -hmm. I signed up. I'm interested. Mm -hmm. They all had these experiences that we knew that Minnesota, in a lot of ways, was a power keg. Mm -hmm. But this Mm -hmm. made it so much more real, so much more immediate. Mm -hmm. And... So the way that I talk about it has had to actually become a little bit more, um, I think a little bit gentler, Mm. realizing that when it's personal, Mm -hmm. I can't just kind of flippantly or angrily say, blah, 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 Mm -hmm. because I've had students who knew Philando Castile. I've had students who, you know, their house was just a block or blocks away from where George Floyd was killed. We have to be gentler with each other. Mm -hmm. We have to be kinder with each other. And so now I focus a lot more on, you have no idea what another person is going through. You look at a person, but that doesn't mean you know anything about them. Because we don't want to just continue to sort of heap trauma on each other. We have to be each other's caretaker. We have to be... There, But I also, you know, it also has made me push for myself and for our students. We have to and we deserve to get help for mental health. Mm-hmm. This is a lot to deal with. The pandemic was a lot to deal with. Mm-hmm. The pandemic plus an uprising in Minnesota at the same time mm-hmm. was a lot to deal with. Mm-hmm. You deserve, just like anybody else, to talk to a professional, yeah. to work through these things in a space where you're not going to be judged because otherwise we stuff it down and it's painful and it comes up when you don't want it to. So I I think there are a lot of things that we do the same because especially for people of color, we saw that coming. Mm -hmm. And then there are other things that I just think softness, gentleness, kindness, they are not bad things. And I have found myself going back even more to the Benedictine values of like, it's all right there. Yeah. Yeah, you know, and you touch on a lot there. And I think, you know, this is something in my own journey around this and thoughts and education and things mm-hmm. and observation that I think I've grappled with because, you know, you mentioned start with kindness. And mm-hmm. I and I agree with that. So I'm thinking, oh, okay, I'm a kind guy, right? Yeah. Minnesota nice, yes. all of those kinds of yes. things. Um but I find myself, as I've done, you know, I've, I've, as I've educated myself, as I've taken, you know, inventories like the IDI and mm-hmm, other things mm-hmm. like that, I land squarely, like, and I mean squarely in minimization. Mm. So I come from it, Sarah, from a point of thinking, well, we all, we all should, we all should treat each other. You know, everybody <laughs> has the same, you know, yes. we have the same opportunities, which yes. again is minimalizing what's uh-huh. going on, right? Mm-hmm. You talk about kind of that work as a ESL teacher, and you said something. You know, you were what you liked about it. You were you were learning. You were working with beginners. You loved working with mm-hmm. beginners because mm-hmm. of, for a lot of us, I think coming out of 2020, yeah. we're beginners thinking about as a white male i should mm-hmm. say that mm-hmm. too right beginners of really really thinking about what does it mean with diversity and equity and things mm-hmm. along those lines so um now i got all excited i'm trying to remember where i was going with this but um you know i i think i i talk to me about the you know, again that work with 
you just provide so much support from for for underrepresented students but what about majority students mm-hmm. minimalization that's the majority of where people are at mm-hmm. you know in that IDI t- test is at minimalization um, how do we get beyond being kind mm-hmm. and 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 you know how how do we help educate around that minimalization piece because mm-hmm. people will say often I've heard friends of mine say yep. that I've had the challenge say well you know they have every opportunity, mm-hmm. you know, I had to pull myself up by my bootstraps, all those <laughs> yes. kinds of things. But it's not the same, is it? It is not. Yeah. And, you know, I appreciate you bringing that up because, to me, kindness can't just stop at, and I say this as a lifelong Minnesotan, mm-hmm. it's very easy to use kindness as a way to stop the conversation. But I'm a nice person. Yeah. But... I am always kind to everybody. Now, number one, that's not true because yeah. I could say I'm kind to everybody all the time and I know that's not true. <laughs> but it's a way to stop having to do that hard work because mm-hmm. that's not the comfortable thing. Mm-hmm. And so when I say kindness, what I mean is sort of a radical kindness. Mm-hmm. And I mean kindness in the, t- in, in the way of, I understand that you have a story simply because you are. Mm-hmm. And I could learn from that. I am not going to make assumptions. I am going to wait for you to tell me who you are, mm-hmm. right? And also, I think when I'm trying to teach this in the way of we are going to practice kindness, we are going to practice grace, I mean that in the way that like, that is actually very hard work because I work with people professionally and personally all the time who would say I am really at the beginning Mm -hmm. if there is a level of humility there we can do anything Mm -hmm. you don't have to know everything and you don't even have to necessarily worry so much about offending me because that's another thing that we do is we get so worried about being misunderstood Mm -hmm. offending anybody etc that we don't even want to engage Part of kindness is being willing to engage. And if someone is, I tell my class all the time, if someone else is being vulnerable with you, at least consider being vulnerable with them. Because they did a really hard thing. Mm -hmm. And you don't want to kind of leave them hanging like, oh, okay, noted. Mm -hmm. I know this about you now. Mm -hmm. Be willing to at least consider, okay, can I meet you there? Can I, you know say a thing that kind of meets what you just said and so when i say kindness i do not mean like this dismissiveness or this kind of like that's the end of the conversation or i have nothing left to work on i mean a little bit of kindness towards ourselves and knowing that we don't know what we don't know to sort of paraphrase there's a there's a quote from malcolm x where he talks about don't hate another person for being in the place where you were at not that long ago Mm. And I think that's a little bit of kindness to yourself to mm-hmm. recognize you are not perfect, mm-hmm. but somebody was kind to you and let you get there. And towards other people to yeah. say like, they will not be perfect, mm-hmm. but if you see them trying, yeah. at least that opens the door for a conversation. Yeah. I was going to ask you about this too because I was going to say my for my own self there's times where I still catch myself really being worried about offending. Yeah. Asking the wrong question, asking somebody to speak on behalf of everybody like I'm, mm-hmm. I'm I I get overly conscious about that to the point to where you're almost paralyzed yeah. at times. I mean just to be completely honest and I've worked at predominantly white institution but i also worked where we, we you know the incoming students and, and the class were majority minority students mm-hmm. as well or mm-hmm. underserved students so so that really resonates and i love what you say kindness is again that willing to engage and i've had situations too i'm still really working with pronouns mm-hmm. <laughs> If I'm speaking about someone using they, them, like it doesn't flow, right? We're Mm -hmm. binary society. I was brought up in that binary society. So learning that. I just used a phrase the other day and a colleague called me out too. Again, and this gets to intent versus impact, Mm -hmm. right? But I I just, again, not ill intent, but just had said, hey, after this meeting, can the three of us get together and just powwow really quick on this? And I, and and they they called me out on it, mm-hmm. and I was I was so glad they did, mm-hmm. mortified, mm-hmm. and 
horribly, feel horrible about using that phrase. But again, intent, mm-hmm. I, I think, again, a lot of people without that intent, but the impact. Yeah. And and thinking about that impact is so important. Yeah, so important. Well, and I think that there, there has to be a willingness to have the conversation. But how do we get to the conversation? Mm-hmm. I do not think that this work can be done, whether it's personally, professionally, big level, smaller level. Yeah. I don't think it can be done without relationship, yeah. without community. Yeah. So this is one of the great things about Dignitas, right? Yeah. We are together for a year. And the mm-hmm. idea is, I'm not asking you day one to bury your soul in front of this group of strangers, yeah. but we build up to... We have to be able to trust that we are doing this work together. This is our little mini community together here. And when you have a community and you have a relationship with people, then you can have those sort of harder conversations. I don't believe that these should just constantly happen like totally unmonitored out just like we're flinging words out of our mouth all the time. However, there are more opportunities than we think there are Mm -hmm. to have those conversations. And when you have the conversation, then you get to practice the things that are harder, whether it be, um, it turns out I have to practice for my brain and my mouth and all the things to use pronouns that maybe for the first however many years of my life I wasn't used to using. Some of that just takes practice. Even sometimes I think to have um, the willingness to take correction. I remember the first time that I um, used the wrong pronouns for a friend. Mm -hmm. And I did it all wrong. Mm -hmm. I apologized profusely. I brought way too much attention to it. And I realized as I was sort of in an out-of-body experience almost watching myself, I was like, you are making this so much worse for them. Mm. You are being such a jerk right now. But it was because I just felt, you know, that moment where you feel your whole body go hot and you're just like filled with shame <laughs> yeah. and you want I've everyone to know I'm not yep. a bad person. Yep. I had to learn to like sit in that. And when they said, stop it, mm. I was like, you're, you're right. You're right. Yeah. And that whole night I sat there just like wanting yeah. to cry. Yeah. But it was a, actually a really good experience because yeah. one, why did you do that? Yeah. Made me think about that. Yeah. But also two, if a person is kind enough to correct you, to say, I care about you enough to tell you how you could do better, yeah. I take that as a gift. Yeah. Sometimes a painful gift, Yeah. but one that I so appreciate you for caring enough about me, for being kind enough. To tell me how I could do better, how I could be better, yeah. how I can focus more on other people than my own yeah. feeling in this moment. Yeah, I love that. And it's so true and rings so true for me. And um, I think hopefully for others, just a great reminder that I think there's there's this there's this push and I think this internal desire for me to be perfect in all mm-hmm. of those conversations. Mm-hmm. But I think what I've learned over time is there's a recognition to where people aren't expecting it to be perfect. They're expecting genuine openness, desire to be engaged, to build relationships, to understand. Well, mentor Mary Dana Hinton, who's the president at Hollins University out in Virginia. She was the president at College of St. Benedict when I was there. Um, she is, I, we, we were separated at birth, I swear. Um, African-American woman, wonderful leader. Um, she did a TED Talk about kind of... Um, putting a light on the margins <laughs> and mm-hmm. i think right human nature is to that i'm at the center mm-hmm. and then there's everybody else mm-hmm. but to think what if there wasn't a center right right and that's i that always rang true with me and i listen to every word she tells me if she's listening she'll 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 appreciate that but she does uh, and, and she everything she says is wonderful but um but let's let's think about what's the center or re, re, redefining center mm-hmm. and what mm-hmm. that means. So, oh, yeah, so that. true. Yeah. That's some heavy topics. That's <laughs> a, the quickest half hour that I think I've had in this podcast, but it's a wonderful conversation. I want to switch gears just a little bit, sure. um, Sarah, if we can do that. Um, outside of this topic, and it's still things I think that resonate really well with me because I think back to this experience, new homeowner. Yes. Yes, I am. Talk about challenges and excitements and things, right? Yes. Talk to me about being a homeowner and this Instagram page where we can follow your your journey. Yes. yes. So a little over a year ago, um, I bought my first home. Mm. 
and really the the pandemic and the and the lockdown portion of it yeah. i i loved living in apartments uh-huh. i am an i'm a great apartment dweller i'm a fantastic neighbor i'm very quiet um but it was the not being able to get outside um that was just it was really hard and i was like i think i'm ready i'm ready for a house mm-hmm. but now i grew up um in a Pentecostal church where, um, like, I don't necessarily exist as a person. I'm 37 years old. I am single. I'm a woman who is single. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just bought a house by myself. Mm-hmm. That's not a thing that really super existed. And that's not me trying to talk bad about anybody else who's had different lives and choices. Mm-hmm. That's fantastic. But I didn't see a person like me, really. And so... I went and I um, signed, you know, did the paperwork and got mm-hmm. the keys. Mm-hmm. And it says on there, it says something like in big, bold capital letters, single, unmarried woman. And at first I was like, oh, God, mm-hmm. oh, no. <laughs> and then just, I don't know, it, it was like a two second, like, oh, God, I failed. I was like, yeah. that's fantastic. Yeah. yeah. Like, I just did this by myself. Yeah. And so I, I bought this little house over in... Um, West, it's not really quite West Duluth. It's Lincoln Park, which apparently the oldies say West End. So okay. that's what I call it. Yeah. Um, and it's a house from 1906. Oh, and fun. I knew I wanted an old house. And I wanted to do some projects, but I wanted to do things that I could manage. Yeah. So I was like, it's got to have good like plumbing and electricity. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know how yeah. to do those things. Right, right. But like I can paint. I can mm-hmm. fix mm-hmm. some things. Yep. So I got it, and I still, to this day, like, I remember going in, and there was a point where we got to the upstairs bedrooms, and I told my realtor, I was like, this is the one. And then when I got it, I was like, what was I thinking? <laughs> like, uh, there was a lot. Uh-huh. Um, I ripped up carpet that pets had been on for oh, years and years. <laughs> I had to learn all about, there's a paint that covers odors. Uh-huh. And um, apparently, if anybody ever tells you that you can cover wood floors, pet odor with like vinegar and, don't. Uh-huh. Straight vinegar <laughs> is what kills it. Um, so we did that. Um, two friends from here, actually, Katie and Tyler Selleck, helped uh-huh. me redo the floors on the uh, ground uh-huh. level. Like, it became a massive, massive project. Yeah. But it was really kind of funny because a lot of people here, like, came out and helped me. Yeah. I mean, um, he doesn't work here anymore, but um, Thomas, and it's B, but I can't remember his last name right now. Uh, he came over and helped me, like, grind stumps. Hmm. And uh, Megan Perry Spears pulled staples out of the stairs. Hmm. Um, Katie and Tyler helped me... Um, my cousins came up and helped me paint walls, yeah. my family, obviously, and all sorts of things. My yeah. brother came up and um, stuffed holes because we were like, where are these mice coming yeah, from? Yeah. So um, I started a page. Um, I think it's, let's just double check. Sure. <laughs> I think it's, yeah, there it is. I have a notification. Cottage behind the cedars. Um, because there used to be these big cedar trees in front that were old and dying and frostbitten. So we took those down. But um, yeah, you can you can go there. You can see all my projects. Uh, the cat, Rosalie, makes an appearance in most of my pictures. Uh, she kind of matches the decor of the house. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Very fun. And you, you talked about apartment living before. Yeah. You had a pretty traumatic apartment experience <laughs> yes. and actually really a kind of a hidden hero right <laughs> saving saving lives you and Rosalie so talk a bit about yeah. that so when I first moved back uh, my first apartment uh, was over here in Central Hillside and um, there was a fire it was one of those really windy was it December maybe November it was one of those really windy days um and somebody had left a cigarette out on the porch mm. and the wind just took it. And I remember like I smelled smoke and I was like, I don't, where, where's the smoke coming, coming from? from? Yeah, yeah. Couldn't see it. I ran upstairs. There was an empty level above us, mm-hmm. nothing up there. And by the time I came back down, I could see like through the wall, smoke was coming through the wall Oh wow! in the kitchen. And I was like, oh dear. So 
I had just got this cat who was a rescue cat, and I was like, I can't find her. Oh, so I, was no. like, I was like, Rosalie? And yeah. the second time, she came out from under the bed, and her eyes were just huge. Yeah. And I picked her up, and she doesn't like to be picked up, but thankfully she did. And I realized I didn't hear any commotion. Uh-huh. Like, nobody was leaving. Uh-huh. So I ran around, and I just banged on all the doors, and I was like, there's a fire, there's yeah. a fire. Yeah. And thankfully, they started coming out. Yeah. Um, and so we all went out. Somebody called the fire department. Um, it might have been me. I really don't remember. Yeah. Um, and we watched it burn. Oh. <laughs> and it was really awful because, I mean, like we lost everything. Yeah. But the people and all of the pets, the newspaper reported all the pets made it out, <laughs> um, were all fine. Yeah. And so that was great. But I, I remember just standing there looking up at this apartment burning like, well, I'm going to have to go home. Yeah. I, this is a sign from somewhere yeah, that yeah. this isn't going to work. Yeah. And that night, my mom called me and she goes, Megan made a GoFundMe for you. <laughs> and I was like, what? Mm-hmm. And Megan Perry Spears had made a GoFundMe. And mm-hmm. so people from all over Duluth and Minnesota and actually other places, people I knew, people I didn't know, people here, um, donated. And then like people, I still have um, like kitchen towels from people from here Mm. i just was like well i guess that's that i guess i i live in duluth i guess i have a community here yeah yeah you know and i think it's in moments like that again where you strip away you know all the a lot of the stuff that we were talking about earlier you just strip that all away Mm -hmm. right Mm -hmm. and it's just really about coming together and being kind because everything else doesn't matter at that moment right right? and and again it's relationships it's building them you know i'm kind of shifting gears maybe a little bit back just based off of that comment but you the amount of students in and out of your office is staggering. <laughs> yeah. I, and, and, I, and I mean that in a good way. Like, I mean, there's just a lot, but what a gift you are to them. And, um, again, it makes me being relatively new here, um, my competitive juice get going because I'm like, I, I want to build those relationships. I yeah. want that same thing, right? I have yeah. some, but nowhere near yours. Um, but, you know, first-generation students, BIPOC students, others, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, Come, come to us really vulnerable, almost like mm-hmm. in this situation, right, where just people need to rally. Talk a bit about working with 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 those students, the conversations mm-hmm. you're having. Give glimpse to people who maybe don't, who listen to this, who don't really know some of the challenges that students face this mm-hmm. day. Because I think people feel like, well, they, they go to a private college. Mm-hmm. What, what's They don't have any problems, right? Yep. Give a little glimpse into that. So... Like I mentioned, I went to UMD for undergrad, and we had a very similar perception of mm-hmm. Scholastica. Mm-hmm. Um, I said, you know, I didn't know much, but it seemed like the private college castle on the hill. Mm-hmm. And I absolutely assumed that all these kids, you know, came from money. They were like legacies, this, that, and the other. When I started working here, I realized we have a lot of first-gen students, which is awesome. Mm -hmm. We have BIPOC students, which is awesome. Mm -hmm. We have students from here. We have students from the cities, out of state, et cetera, international students. Um, We have, you know, and I'm thinking from, like, this diversity lens, right? We have um, students with disabilities. We have um, LGBTQ plus students. We have students who, they talk about everybody looks at me and thinks that I have this, that, and the other, and they don't know this really big part of my identity or this thing that I've lived with or whatever. And so it's like while everyone has a story and everyone has something to give and to bring, people also bring difficulties Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. sadness and grief and trauma and all sorts of things, right? And so it's like to meet people in all of that is the just the coolest thing. It's mm-hmm. why I love, love this job. Mm-hmm. Because in any given day, and granted, in October, it's more in April, it's more tears, yeah. and I have a lot of Kleenex in my yep. office. Yep. But at any given day, I mean, people, students come in and tell me their successes. Yeah. Um, they come in and tell me how they did on an exam. Mm-hmm. Um, and then people tell me all sorts of things. Here's mm-hmm. what's happening with my family. Mm-hmm. Here's what's happening. Um, you know, just broke up with my boyfriend, mm-hmm. and you know, Michelle Russell calls it the turkey drop. Yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah, around Thanksgiving. Yeah, right. <laughs> if you break up with your partner from high school, it's okay. It happens, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. Um, 
people bring all sorts of things and it's such an honor when someone trusts you to help sort of walk with them through it hold it with them whatever it is that they may need that's right um i'm trying to kind of think without getting you know too specific i would say you can almost never guess what a student is going to bring with them based off of how they look or seem or even talk or act or whatever because the second that door closes it's like and here's the thing and I'm like all right okay here we go um I have learned that trying to assume or predict what's going to happen does not serve me well um because every single person is their own individual person um but yeah I think we have so many stories here and one of the things that I find really enjoyable is the people who understand that our office is for everybody um i have actually had people ask me like well is that person in your office i'm like oh yeah yeah they know us they did mlo they're in my class that this they're that Mm -hmm. if you want to be a part of our office you are part of it Mm um so yeah I would say that there's there's a lot. Um, I love it all. Like I said, I am single. I do not have any children. So, you know, as much as, like, our students are adults and they are individuals and whatever, um, I do have a lot of students that I kind of consider, like, my own yeah. kids. <laughs> yeah. um, and so, yeah, I love it. Yeah. I love hearing about how did you do on this test? Um, are you going to change your major? Um, I like getting the wedding invitations when mm-hmm. they're gone and... Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I always encourage, and I just did it today at our leadership team meeting, I had said, you know, take a moment every day. It doesn't have to be long, 15 minutes, mm-hmm. but catch a student, stop a student, just have a conversation, yeah. ask them how they're doing, yeah. introduce yourself, yeah. you know, start building a relationship. I said it, students have a way of filling you back up <laughs> and yep. it makes the rest of the job tolerable because there are a lot of challenges in any yes. job there is yep. right and I and I think whether it's a in higher ed it's our students in you know other industry it might be a co-worker but mm-hmm. just taking that time I mean you know these podcasts in and of themselves for me is a great way to stop I spend an hour there's yep. a million other things that I could be doing with right. the hour but right. um, but but you know sharing the conversation again it's about those relationships which is really fun Absolutely. so yeah it's wonderful well, I've peppered you now, and I want to make sure we have enough time here in this hour to, to have you ask some questions of me. So what questions do you have? Yeah. So um, first first question, which is not even the biggest question. Yeah. Um, were we both English majors? We were. Okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm just curious because anybody who is listening to this who was an English major knows that like we like to find each other. Yeah, that's <laughs> right. What did other English majors do yeah. with their degree yeah. in their life? Yeah. Um, okay. I'm sure you were better than me. I always say I was the world's worst English major. Um, no, people usually dispute that, but yeah, but I but I was definitely. Yep. Yep. I'm sure, you were not. Yep. Um, and then I think maybe a little bit. Bigger question is, so I know that you've been in higher ed, you know, long before you came to CSS. And maybe this is a really broad question, but what's kept you in higher ed? Yeah. Because I I feel like when I see you, I feel like you enjoy it. I feel like, you know, because we've definitely seen people who are like, well, it's it's clearly you know the paycheck or yeah, whatever, and it's yeah. like I, I don't I don't get that from you. Yeah. So, what is it that like you are still excited about this? Yeah, you yeah. still enjoy it? Yeah. Why? Yeah, it's a great question. I I think I think about my journey too. You know, I grew up in a single parent household, first generation college mm-hmm. student. Really had no business you know, going to school. I mean, I just, I didn't have any kind of, I, I knew I wanted to go because I wanted to play sports. Okay. For me, it was athletics. Mm-hmm. I, I, I always say I went to college to, to, to play football and ended up getting a degree along the way. Yeah. That's kind of how it worked out for yeah. me. It was my outlet. It's what I enjoyed, what I knew the best, those kinds of things. When I think about the 
teachers, the mentors, the coaches, the administrators, and others who were there not only in college but also in high school as well. I've talked about a couple of them on, on other episodes of the mm-hmm. podcast. Um, I feel like that gift deserves to be paid back. Yeah. And this is my way to pay it forward, to pay it back. Um, and I owe a lot, so I've got a lot of years to pay back. Um, so for me, it's, it's, that's a motivation. Um, it's also, I think, like, I love people's stories, Mm -hmm. you know, I mean, I, I, I feel like being able to connect with somebody individually to open up and and make vulnerable. I mean, I I like those conversations. It's when I'm, it's when I'm happiest. Mm -hmm. Anytime a student walks in the door and says, Hey, I have a question or can you help me with something? I know it's going to be a good day Mm -hmm. because that's, why I do the work. And and as I've moved through different positions in higher ed, Sarah, I think the bigger the title, the further away you get pulled from those conversations. So I always feel too like there's an intentionality that I need to have and want to have about making sure I find time for those interactions. Just even being there, like the opportunity for somebody, should they feel comfortable Mm -hmm. and want to do it. Mm -hmm. And people are getting to know me that I am comfortable because I think it is a little bit too like, I can actually like walk into a VP's office and I'm not going to get when I'm not in trouble or, you know, that. Yeah, you can. Right. I mean, that's what this place is all about. That's what this job is all about. So for me, I really think it's it's about it's really about paying it forward. That's the motivation. Mm -hmm. I had a question during my interview um, that was when you think back to your like kindergarten self, (laughs) like what 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 motivates you from Mm -hmm. then now? And it was like. I just want to help people. Yeah. I want to help people because everybody's challenges are hard. I can remember getting up in the morning to go to school and not knowing whether or not our car was going to start. Um, my mom working jobs, coming home, latchkey kid, figuring out like, what are you going to make for dinner, right? Now, we always had food. My mom was a great provider and God love her and rest her soul. She passed away this past May. Um, but I, I think... You know, it, what, it, what, what frustrates me, and I see it in my own kids, and I've worked really hard to make sure they understand, like, they have had opportunities. They've gone to schools with resources. Like, all of these things, when the pandemic hit, mm-hmm. they came home, had their own room, had their own device, had internet, had stable internet every day, right? All of those kinds of things. And helping them understand that not everybody has that. Mm -hmm. And they need to recognize that Mm -hmm. and give of their time, their money, their gifts, all of those things, and recognize and be aware of the margins. And their experience is not the center. Yeah. It's not the center. So anyway, that's kind of, that's the motivation. Like, I just love that aspect of it. And I owe owe a lot of people, I owe a, a great debt to people that mentored me. And I just want to do that for others. That's awesome. Yeah. And recognize too, like, yeah, that with that comes again a lot of a lot of uh, a lot of work. And and time to I think step away from time to time and exhale because mm-hmm. it's intense work and yeah. it's a lot of time and a lot of energy and you're absorbing a lot and you can't help everybody to the level that you want to help them. Yep. <laughs> it's about empowering them to get the help, but you know, for me at my level too, Sarah, it's about making sure institutionally we're not setting up additional barriers preventing that from happening too. Yeah. And I've, I feel like I, my focus there, the older I get, mm-hmm. the focus on that continues to increase for me. So, awesome. yeah. Awesome. We talked about blowing off steam a little bit. One yeah. thing we didn't talk about that I learned about you too is you you like to paint. And I do. we talk about painting homes, but this is different, yes. right? And yes, it's this different. is different. Like, yeah. Talk about how do you too, because you – Again, you sh- there's a lot. The intensity of the work is great that you do. Mm-hmm. How do you? Is it painting that kind of allows you to blow off that steam and kind of recenter yes. yourself? Yeah. Yes. Um, so again, as an English major, my my go to has always kind of been reading. Yeah. Like I could read fiction, yeah. something, and just fully get into it. Yeah. And there came a point, I would say, especially during kind of like the lockdown period, where I was not able to and actually really kind of right before that too i wasn't able to 
sort of do a task without the wheels spinning in my head, just thinking about, oh, I should be doing this. Oh, I could be doing that. What about this? This is a thing that I should probably be worrying about right now, right? And then, um, and I've always drawn, like when I was little, I think I was maybe four, and my mom found a little piece of paper in my room, and it had just a drawing of like a little old man, and he was bald, and he had round glasses. And she's like, where'd you get this? I said, I drew it. Mm. She's like, what? (laughs) I said, no, I drew it. And so, you know, she's always said like, you've always been creative. But I hadn't tried much with painting. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I'm going to try painting. Mm -hmm. I am absolutely going to, this is going to be my thing. And the first couple were really bad. Um, And I like kind of dramatically, like in the movies, like painted over it. And I was like, threw it out (laughs) in the snow. Um, It was ridiculous. But then I, maybe two weeks later, I went back to it. Because I had already bought all this stuff, right? And I just took my time. And I realized when I was doing a painting... I was just fully in it. Yeah. And I would like look at the clock and it had been like three hours. Yep. And I had not experienced anything like that probably since like high school. Yeah. And so I do it one because it's a really good way to let the things that I cannot control go for a few hours. Yep. But also because I just, I really love art. I love yeah. other people's art. Yeah. I like looking at art. Yeah. Um, and often I don't see people who look like me represented. Mm-hmm. And so I, a lot of my art has people in it. Um, and whether they're kind of the focus or not, it's people who are brown, people who have curly hair, things mm-hmm. like that. Because to this day, and it's gotten better, but I walk in a store and every image doesn't look like me. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. Yeah. It's, it's such a great metaphor for... Everything we talked about today, it's yeah. it's that, you know, again, it doesn't, the, the masterpiece doesn't happen the first try. No, no. Um, it, again, everything is different. You're always mm-hmm. starting from a clean slate. It's just mm-hmm. a matter of picking up the brush. Yep. Right? Yep. So I think we all just need to make sure we remind ourselves, pick up the brush. Yes. Right? Pick absolutely. up the brush. So. Well, that's a great maybe uh, part to, 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 to end on. So, Sarah, I, I want to say this. I mean, you you're... Your work that you do in, in in DI and how it connects to student affairs is just so valued by our team. It's valued by me. It's valued by this institution. Um, I just want to thank you for that work. Thank you for, again, you're, you're um, being a great colleague and, and making us all better. I just want to make sure that I say that publicly for everybody here. I know I say it privately too, but thank you for spending time with us today and, uh, and for being here. It's been a lot of fun. Thank you. Yeah. This was this was very fun. I was scared, um, and it was much more fun and casual than yeah. I had in my head. Yeah, that's excellent. Good. Well, that's uh, Sarah Stewart, everybody, and tune in next week, and we'll have, I think we're going to be having um, some of our leaders within our student government that will be here next week, so that'll be fun. First, a multi-guest panel, so that'll be, that they'll, have a, they'll have a hard fact to, act to follow. So thank you, Sarah. Thank you. All right, you. tune in next week, everybody.